I've been thinking this week on the time when the the law was being wound up and the new era of grace was beginning. I was thinking that if we were to do a public opinion poll and ask churchgoers or Christians the question, when, at what particular time, did this present dispensation commence and the old dispensation end? Or maybe putting it another way, when did the teaching of the law, the Old Testament, end and the age of grace, the New Testament, begin? And I think if we were to do that, we'd get some interesting answers. Some would say at Calvary, when Jesus died. Others may say at the resurrection of Jesus. And of course, others might think at Pentecost, when the church began with the coming of the Holy Spirit. However, I was looking at a few verses in this respect, and if we look at Matthew 11.13, Jesus speaking said, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. He's speaking, of course, of John the Baptist. And then in Luke 16, verse 16, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is proclaimed. John the Baptist, a very interesting character. So from these verses, and especially the last verse there, it, uh, we see that the preaching of John was at a time of very great significance. That last verse shows that the defining division of the ages, the age being replaced, was the, signified by the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets were until John. That age was was finishing. The law showed how man ought to live to please God, but man had failed miserably. And the prophets prophesied of a coming one who would bring in righteousness and mercy. Prophecies such as those in Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he comes up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor majesty that we should see him, nor an appearance that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as it were a hiding of faces from him, he being despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was on him, and with his stripes we ourselves are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned each one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before a shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. And so on, pointing to the coming Messiah 
who would suffer become known as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And then we have other prophecies in Daniel, less well known perhaps, Daniel 2.44. The emperor had had a dream. He didn't remember the dream and he had to get someone to remind him what the dream was and then explain it. And this was a massive statue. But in Daniel 2.44, at the end of Daniel's explanation of what the dream was, he said, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. This new age which was coming in would be one of good tidings about the kingdom of God. A new heavenly kingdom would be proclaimed. And so in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2 we read Matthew 3, 2 Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John speaking or more correctly, the kingdom has drawn near. The kingdom of heaven has drawn near. The king of the kingdom was moving through the land. In that sense, the kingdom had drawn near. Where the king goes, his kingdom is there represented. I was thinking about this, and recently Queen Elizabeth visited the Republic of Ireland. Now we all must know of the bitter war fought by the IRA against the United Kingdom. Because of the fact that Ireland is divided politically between the Republic in the South and Northern Ireland under British rule in the North. Thankfully the IRA have discontinued their armed struggle in favour of peace and political action. And now things are so much better. However... IRA politicians would not attend functions attended by the Queen. Because as far as the IRA was concerned, the Kingdom of Great Britain was present in the land in the presence of the monarch. They could have said, the Kingdom has drawn near. and We do not want that Kingdom. In, same, in the same sense, John, when he was preaching, he said, the kingdom has drawn near in the presence of the king. And we shall see as we continue our studies, there was to be an inward aspect of the kingdom. As we observe in the conversation with Nicodemus and our Lord in John 3. And an eventual outward aspect when our Lord shall return to reign, but first he must be crucified. Go away to receive a kingdom and then to return. The parable of the talents in Luke 19 verse 12 illustrates this. It says, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Or 
Savior has gone into that far country, but he will return. In Daniel 7, verse 13, Daniel speaking again, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And dominion and glory was given him, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And part of that was quoted by Christ in Mark 14. If you look at Mark 14 and verse 62, see what Jesus said. The high priest asked him, actually, The high priest, art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. The King will return. Matthew twenty-five twenty-seven. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father and with his angels, and then he shall reward each one according to to his works that coming kingdom when Christ shall return and set up his millennium reign on earth many of the prophecies in the Old Testament of the coming Messiah were when John started to preach now being replaced with literal fulfillment when, when he appeared on the scene, when John appeared on the scene. John the Baptist was a man who came, it says, in the spirit of Elijah, out in the desert. You know, his birth was quite wonderful. You may read all about it in Luke chapter 1. In some aspects, it parallels uh, the birth of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Briefly, a priest named Zacharias, he was serving his allotted time at the temple. They had a rota system when priests went up and did a time serving in the temple. He and his wife were elderly and without children. It was their desire to have a son. And they were righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. And during his duty, he went into the temple, and the angel Gabriel appeared to him as he was standing on the right of the altar of incense. All the people were outside, waiting for him to come out again. Verse 12, and seeing this, Zacharias was troubled, I'm sure he was, with the appearance of the angel Gabriel. And fear fell on him. But the angel said to him, do not fear, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. What news? 
He just couldn't believe it. But the angel was still speaking. He went on. Many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. And shall neither drink wine nor strong drinks. He was going to be a Nazarite. And he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he shall turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What a wonderful task was going to be given to John. Well, this was not surprisingly all a bit too much for poor old Zacharias to take in. And so he said, what shall I know? How, how, How do I know this? I'm old and my wife is advanced in her days. And answering the angel Gabriel said, I am Gabriel who stands before God. And I am sent to speak to you and to show you these glad tidings. Behold, you shall be silent and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. Because you did not believe my words which shall be fulfilled in their time. You know, the people outside waited for Zacharias to come out. And they, they, they wondered why he was staying so long inside. And when he did come out, he couldn't speak to them. They perceived that he had seen a vision while working at the temple. And he was making signs to them and remained speechless. And then when he'd finished his allotted time in the temple, he departed to his own house. We must only wonder what his wife Elizabeth thought of the news. But then moving on very quickly to verse 57. And the time was fulfilled for Elizabeth to bear her son. And she bore a son. And her neighbours and her kinsfolk heard how the Lord had magnified his mercy with her. That's a lovely expression. We read in the Psalms, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. But here the Lord had magnified his mercy with her, and they rejoiced with her. It happened on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they decided perhaps they would call him Zacharias after his father. And his mother answered and said, No, no. He shall be called John. And there was a discussion. They said to him, You don't have anybody in your family called John. Why are you going to call him John? And then Zacharias was given a a writing tablet. And he wrote, His name is John. They all were amazed. And immediately... He got his voice back and he spoke and praised God. You know, people living around, they were fearful. This was an amazing thing which had happened. They talked about it 
all around the hill country news of the birth of John and the fact that Zacharias now could speak again. You know, all those who heard it, it says in verse 66, laid them up in their hearts, saying, What kind of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And then Zacharias, the father, speaking through the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from eternity. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers. And to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham. That he would grant to us. That we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you shall go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. What a wonderful job to prepare the way of the Lord. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God by which the day spring from on high has visited us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet in the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit was in the desert until the day of his showing to Israel. Here we have the message of John, of a coming one who would give, and if you look back at those verses, verses 71, he was going to give deliverance from their enemies. We have it in verse 74 as well, being delivered out of the hands of her enemies. And we have in verse 72. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers. And to remember his holy covenant. Remembering his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham. And he was going to give the knowledge of salvation to his people. The remission of sins. In verse 77. And then he was going to give. Light. Give a message of light. To those who sit in darkness. In the shadow of death. This coming. Saviour was going to guide. And bring the people. Into the way of peace. And the child grew. And lived in the desert. Away from most people. And this brings us quickly to the preaching of John. Proclaiming the, the new age which was coming in. The ministry pointed to. Glorified. And extolled. 
the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one who came before. You know, he was challenged about his ministry. Was he the Christ? Was he Elijah? And you know what he said? I'm a voice. I'm only a voice. But a voice with a message. Make straight the way of the Lord. John 1.23 He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as saith the prophet Isaiah. If you go to Isaiah 40 you'd see that prophecy. Verse 3 The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness prepare ye the way of the Lord make straight in the desert a highway before our God. This was John the Baptist forecast prophesied about hundreds of years before in Isaiah 40 and verse 3 he'd come to prepare the way of the Lord for the coming Messiah to tell people that this coming Messiah was one who would deliver them from their enemies give them peace remission of sins And then we come to the time in John chapter 1 when John saw Jesus. The next day John sees Jesus coming to him and says in front of all the people behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's message right from the start of Jesus' ministry pointed to Jesus as the Lamb of God. The one who came had to die. And his listeners would know exactly what he meant. He was speaking of the Passover Lamb that had to die before the children of Israel could get out of Egypt. Christ was the sacrificial Passover lamb who had to die. So we have right at the outset of John's ministry the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was the sacrificial lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. We have another another cameo as it were of the attitude of John to Jesus and it's found in John chapter 3 and if you go to John 3 and verse 25 there was a question uh, from John's disciples and it arose with the Jews about purifying they came to John and said Rabbi he who was with you beyond Jordan to whom you bore witness behold he baptizes and all come to him now they they got this wrong actually because Jesus didn't baptize anyone we read that in scripture he himself didn't baptize but his disciples did 
But John Anston said, a man can receive nothing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness to me that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Then my joy is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. John was here acknowledging Christ as a bridegroom. A picture which extends right through the New Testament. But here was something new. The coming church made up of believers would be the bride of Christ. And Christ would be the bridegroom. You know, it's so essential that we should have a a knowledge of the proceedings at a Jewish wedding. To know the teaching of the New Testament. Because there are so many figures in the New Testament of a Jewish wedding that it is essential for us to know something about the goings-on at a Jewish wedding at the time of our Lord. For instance, in, in John 14 we read, Let not your heart be troubled, ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now, that's a picture of what happens at a Jewish wedding. The, the, the bride and bridegroom are engaged, espoused to each other. And the bridegroom then goes away to his father's house, and he prepares a place for his eventual bride and then he'll come back at a time unannounced to take the bride to his father's house that's the picture and these Jewish people listening to the the disciples listening to the Lord Jesus saying that would know exactly what he was talking about the picture in their minds would be of a Jewish wedding Jesus someday will return and take his friends, take his loved ones to be with himself. I will come again and receive you unto myself. But then we have this, these uh, words in, in, of John 3. Verse 29 of John chapter 3. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly. Because of the bridegroom's voice, then my joy is fulfilled. John describes himself as the friend of the bridegroom. What's the the significance of this? Well, the allusion is to a custom among the Jews who, uh, at their marriages, used to have persons, uh, apparently on both the side of the bride and under the bridegroom, as companions that attended them and were called their friends. We have the picture a little bit way back in Judges, 
Judges chapter 14, we have Samson. Samson saw a, a, a girl he fancied and he, he said to his father, I want to marry her and arrange for that. But it was all a, a bit complicated, as most things with, with Samson seem to be. And he didn't go down to his wife for a, a while and then... When he did go down, he discovered that his wife had been given to his friend, the man that he had trusted to look after her, to, to speak of him, of Samson, to his future wife. He discovered that when he got down there, it says in verse 20, but Samson's wife was given to her companion, whom he had used as his friend. A terrible thing for him to have happened. And of course, Samson took vengeance uh, as a result of that. And so, John is here represented as the friend of Christ, the bridegroom of the church. The Jews speak of Moses as the friend of God. Jehovah was the husband of Israel, we read. And Moses was the friend of God, the one who spoke about God, who explained the beauties of God to the people. And here's what a friend does in verse 29 of John chapter 3. Just read it. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, Rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase and I must decrease. This friend of the bridegroom, he standeth. This was the, the, the position of a servant waiting to do his master's will. It applied to John. He was the forerunner, the one who went before the Lord Jesus Christ to prepare the way, the harbinger of Christ. He judged himself as not being worthy to open the shoelaces of the Lord Jesus. And you know, you and I, as we seek to minister and to tell others of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we stand before Christ, wait upon him, minister in his name. We are servants for his sake, friends of the bridegroom. Then it says, he heareth him. He listens to the voice of the bridegroom. He observes and obeys him. He hears his voice. And he's able to distinguish the bridegroom's voice from other voices. And listening to the voice gives the friend great pleasure. Every true friend of Christ should listen to his voice a joyful sound and it goes on he rejoiceth greatly because 
of the bridegroom's voice. Do we rejoice at the voice of God as we read his word? As one rejoices at the sight of a person we know as our friend, when we have communion with the Lord Jesus Christ, we hear the sound of his voice through his word. Does it give us delight? I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. The voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. The joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. He speaks, and the sound of his voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing, and the melody that he gives to me within my heart is ringing. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. The joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known. And then it goes on to say my joy therefore is fulfilled. What fulfilled John's joy? It was in Christ. He had been given the job of preparing the way of the Lord and now Christ was there in reality. He'd come in person and his voice was being heard throughout the land. People were, were flocking to hear about Jesus. They were believing in him. They were being baptized. And this gave great pleasure. It fulfilled all the joy that John had hoped for. Perfect joy he gave him when Christ Jesus was glorified in other people. The privilege and duty of the friend was to glorify the bridegroom to the bride. That was the job of the friend, to glorify the bridegroom to any future bride. You know, you read verses sometimes in scripture and you wonder what on earth may be the, 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 the reason for the verses. See, Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, he looked upon himself in some way as the friend of the bridegroom. Why? Because he didn't preach anything about himself. He glorified the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why he says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5, we do not preach ourselves. But Christ Jesus as Lord. And ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. Just what John was doing. John was proclaiming the coming Messiah. And then 
in 2 Corinthians 11.2, and here is the position of the friend, again, glorifying the bridegroom to the bride. Here's what Paul says. I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one man to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve in his craftiness, so your thoughts should be corrupted by the simplicity due to Christ. Paul was wanting to present the bride to the bridegroom. That was his desire, that the bride would fall in love with the bridegroom. It's our task to tell others of the Lord Jesus and his death for them, of the great love of God to a lost world, of his infinite mercy and the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ. To nurture and care for the flock of God, to show compassion and love to them, and in all, to glorify our heavenly bridegroom. And to have the same attitude as John. John finishes that by saying, he must increase and I must decrease. Paul says, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. You know, if you want to study this a bit further on go to Genesis 24 and read the story of Abraham's servant when he goes in search of a wife for Isaac Genesis 24 we're not going to look at it now but get out your Bibles and read Genesis 24 Throughout, throughout the chapter, he never once speaks about himself. He glorifies his master. In fact, you don't even know in Genesis 24 the name of the servant. You don't know the name of the servant. Look, for instance, at Genesis 24, 34. I'm wondering what, who this man is. He says, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord hath blessed my master greatly, and he is become great, and he hath given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, men servants and maid servants and camels and asses. And Sarah, my masters, he just speaks all the time about his master, not about himself, and he glorifies his master to Rebecca. And Rebecca falls in love because of the servant, the friend, extolling the virtues of his master. And that's our task. May we learn from this whole passage to glorify our Lord, Master and Saviour to a lost world. I feel I should 
just say something about one of the attributes prophesied regarding the preaching of John regarding the coming one. Luke 1 verse 72 it says would perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Luke 1 72 to perform and that means to bring about the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. It's important. This is important. As many who teach that the promises to Israel are now taken away from Israel and given to the church. A theory which virtually calls our God one who fails to keep his promises. The resurrection of our Saviour. The one that John was foretelling one who would come guaranteed the promises of God made to Abraham and the fathers. Let's look for a minute at Acts 13. Read a few verses from verse 27. For those living in Jerusalem and their rulers not having given this one, that's the Lord Jesus, and the voices of the prophets being read throughout every Sabbath, condemning him, they fulfilled the scripture. And finding not one cause of death in him, they begged Pilate to do away with him. And when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, taking him down from the tree, they laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead, who appeared for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we preach the gospel to you, the promise made to the fathers. This God has fulfilled to us their children, raising up Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son this day I have begotten you and hath raised him up from the dead no more to return to corruption he spoke in this way I will give you the holy promises of David or as it says in the authorized I will give you the sure promises of David the sure promises of David. What are these sure promises of David which are guaranteed by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you go to Isaiah 55, we read these verses. Speaking of the coming Messiah again, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come ye to the waters, and he who has no money, come by and eat. Yea, come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you weigh silver for what is not bread, and your labor for what never satisfies? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. 
bow down your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you even the sure mercies of David the one, the coming one would bring in the sure mercies of David what are these sure mercies of David that we have in scripture if you turn now to 2nd Samuel chapter 7 and we have the story of here that David was going to he wanted to build a house for God he said I'm living in a beautiful house and there isn't a beautiful house for the ark for God he said I'm in a house of cedar but the ark dwells within curtains going to change all that. I want to I want to glorify God. But God gave Nathan a message, the prophet, to go to David and say, Shall you build me a house for my dwelling? For I have not dwelt in the house since the day I have brought up the sons out of Egypt unto this day, but have walked in a tent, even in a tabernacle. And he said, No, you're not going to build it. My servant David, so says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheep coat from following the sheep to be a ruler of my people over Israel. And I was with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies out of your sight and have made you a great name like the name of the great ones in the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more neither shall the sons of wickedness afflict them any more as before and even from the time that I commanded judges to be over my people of Israel so will I cause you to rest from all your enemies also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house and when your days are fulfilled, and you shall sleep with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who shall come out of your bowels, and I will make his kingdom sure, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will just chasten him, with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men but my mercy shall not leave him as I took it from Saul whom I put away before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before you your throne shall be established forever According to all these words and according to all the visions, so Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord Jehovah? And what is my house that you have brought me here? And this was yet a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. But you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the manner of men, O Lord God? And what can David say more to you? For you 
O Lord Jehovah, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. Neither is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like your people, like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself, and to make him a name, and to do for you great things and terrible for your land before your people, whom you redeemed to you from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. For you have confirmed to yourself your people Israel to be a people to you forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And now, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. And let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord God, God of Israel, have revealed to your servant, saying, I will build you a house, Therefore your servant has found in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord Jehovah, you are that God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Therefore now, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, to be forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. And those are the sure mercies of David, guaranteed to Israel, God's earthly people, forever, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead.